Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Welcome to the Sages Among Us, everyone. I'm your host, Brian Buckley. And tonight, we're going to hear from a citizen leader who is deeply engaged in building a better world for many in her community. Schools and classrooms, or the lack of them, have been in the news a lot lately. That news is focused on the educational changes wrought by the pandemic. And such news covers the immediate and or obvious changes everyone is experiencing, but there is a deeper work going on that is often unreported. For example, Nevada County has one school that is a dual immersion program, teaching students in both English and Spanish in a way that produces bilingual competency for all. My guest tonight is Heather Graham, principal of Bell Hill Academy and director of bilingual education in the Grass Valley School District. She's worked in education for the past 25 years after her degree in Spanish and subsequently her teaching credential uh, she earned from UC Davis. Prior to coming to Nevada County, she worked and lived in both the Bay Area and Oaxaca, Mexico. Along the way, she also earned her master's degree in school administrative credential at Sonoma State University. She's been the principal at Bell Hill Academy for the past four years. Heather, welcome to the Sages Among Us. Thanks, Brian. It's great to chat with you tonight. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. Um, Well, let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, Where did you grow up? Where did I grow up? Well, I was born in Reading, just a few hours north of here. Um, And then uh, as I was starting school, we um, moved out into the country, out to the east of Reading, um, to a little town called Whitmore. And that was where I started my formal schooling experience uh, into fourth grade. So um, really, really living that little bit of a farm life. Um, We had our sheep and yeah, it was a, a lovely little school, a really, really tight community, and, and that's that's where I got my, my start in education. Okay, okay. So, yeah, you're no stranger to small towns and communities then. You know, look at, looking back, Absolutely growing not. up, <laughs> yeah, growing up um, in your growing up years or early adulthood, um, was there anything in particular that contributed to the direction your life has taken since then? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I come from a family of teachers, um, so I grew up really living and breathing education um, at every turn. My, my mom was an elementary teacher in Reading. My dad uh, was an instructor and administrator at Shasta College. My brother uh, and I both turned out <laughs> to be educators. Uh, my brother works at the university level. And I even I even married a teacher, so it's it's really it's all of us. We are um, a family of teachers. So I feel like I fought against it for a while, but inevitably, <laughs> the uh, right. I, you know I was brought back into the fold and and joined the world of education. All right. So uh, credentials are in your DNA. It would uh, it would appear. Um, Pretty much. Can you can you, <laughs> can you remember any kind of uh, watershed event that had a large impact on the person you've become since then? Um, yes, I, the, the way my career took, uh, the turn that it did was when I was in, I got to college, I was at Davis and I loved learning languages so much. I knew that from high school. And though I'd taken French, uh, as a high school student, 
I got to Davis and I switched to Spanish. I knew I wanted to have some kind of a career where I was helping others. I was very dedicated to that. However, I didn't think I wanted to be a teacher. So I did, though. I started interning um, at a, a dual immersion program in the town of Davis. And this was a type of program for, for elementary level students that I had never heard of before. It was completely brand new to me. This would have been about, oh, about 1992, 1993. And I, I'd never heard of dual immersion before. So I spent time as an aide in these classrooms where children, both from English-speaking homes and Spanish-speaking homes, were learning both languages together in a very highly academic setting, multicultural setting. I was completely fascinated uh, by that and really hooked. So that was what helped me make that turn and really see that my future did lie in education after all and that I really became passionate and about bilingualism, biculturalism. Um, I've also worked in a number of immigrant communities with migrant students as well, and I just found that I loved the work. That that was what I was meant to do, and, and I've stuck with it. Okay. Well, how about, uh, you know, people have an influence on our lives. Is there a mentor who's had an influence on you? Can you tell us about that person and describe that influence? Certainly. I've been fortunate to have a number of mentors through my life since childhood, a number of them teachers, um, both classroom teachers, music teachers. And then as I became a teacher, I worked under a principal for a number of years who really saw leadership potential in me, I think when I didn't even see it in myself. And she really helped foster that in me and encouraged me. Um, so, so those are certainly some, but I, I really have to say that that when you're born into a family of teachers, that you really have a lifelong mentorship with them. Mm -hmm. And I, I think about um, how my family supported me, both of my parents in their way, though Reading isn't a very, or at least at that time, particularly in um, the 80s and 90s, wasn't a particularly diverse community. I just, I felt that, that both of them really held this sense of equity for historically marginalized communities just really held that close to their hearts. And I grew up with that influence. And, and so there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, that that's how I've moved along. And so through the years that um, my parents, my brother, my husband, they've be definitely been my mentors in that way. Um, All right. In, in a, very, a very close and personal kind of way. So. Mm -hmm. Now, you said you lived for a while in Oaxaca. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. I uh, was living there when my daughter was very young, and I, I got a job there teaching at a private school. And it, it was fascinating because we, um, I had to take a couple of buses out. We were living downtown, and I had to you know, learn, learn all of the, the different ways of getting around, take one bus, uh, out and, and so I, I was out pretty far out of town, out of the city of Oaxaca in in a fairly rural area again. But it was where they placed this private school, and I was the English teacher for third graders and for the preschool classes for a time. And it was it was very interesting because first of all, here in the United States, I had never taught in a private school before, and so it it was a different kind of experience. Not only the different cultural experiences, but also working with a more affluent population and mm -hmm. 
So again, very, very interesting, but that school was extremely welcoming to me. I learned so much, and even though I was teaching English, my Spanish really got good So, at that time. Right. And, and of course, the, the state and the city of Oaxaca are just are lovely, lovely areas, so rich in culture um, that I, I definitely hold those years and those experiences close to my heart. Great. You know, you, you mentioned uh, you, you learned a lot during your time there and you know you spent a lot of time as a teacher any any good stories or significant learnings from your time as a teacher yes absolutely i so i have i've taught in mexico i've taught uh, most years in the united states and i think one of my so many so many favorite moments and so many favorite stories but when we moved back from oaxaca i had a a job teaching night classes um, for ESL, English as a Second Language classes for adults. And I had the beginning class. So three nights a week, I met with my students, uh, the majority of them from Mexico. So I, I definitely had that connection with them right out mm-hmm. the gate. But I, fa- I found that as immigrants who are relatively new to the country, to the area, that they they were really craving a sense of community and so we sort of created this experience together where one night a week first i just started bringing in my coffee maker i'd lug it in we'd all have coffee and students from other classes would come in and we really started building this social time in um and and really this great sense of community and it, and it built and it built and pretty soon students were bringing in cookies and um ladies, you know, they wanted to bring their kids in too so they could participate in it. And it just grew and grew into something really lovely. And I'll I'll just never forget that experience of feeling like that simple gesture of just bringing the coffee maker and and let's take Mm -hmm. 15, 20 minutes just to to share that and have coffee together turned into something really big and just and, and created this time where we could all come together, not as teachers and students, but just as human beings and just sharing our stories. Um, the other, another piece of that, of teaching those ESL classes that I, I really, really enjoyed was connecting with students and helping them to understand their life in the United States. So sometimes they'd bring in letters from their landlords that I would need to help them understand. Sometimes there'd be bills or, or other types of, of mail that they would receive that they needed help with. And I even had one student who um, had left a job because she got a better job, but the, the first employer refused to give her her last paycheck, which was not okay. Wow. And so I actually went with her to that, uh, that business and, you know, I advocated for her. And um, so it, things like that is really getting involved in people's lives um, I just, I find that so, so satisfying. Um, uh, uh, it doesn't feel like work, you know, when, when, you're, when you're doing it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Great story. So it uh, sounds like you had a lot of interesting experiences as a teacher. What, what made you decide to go into administration? You already mentioned uh, sort of a, you had a, a mentor who encouraged you. I did, and she was definitely a part of it, but I think there was, uh, another it really important reason for me was that I found myself thinking through and almost in my own mind critiquing things that I would see different administrators doing and thinking, oh, well, I wonder why she didn't do it like this or, oh, why didn't he organize the schedule like that? And the more that I started realizing that I was, I was kind of that arm, armchair critic, 
I realized, you know, that's really easy. It's easy to sit back and be the one critiquing others who are really out there putting themselves out and being the one who's out there vulnerable and doing that work. And I thought, you know, I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to jump in and see if I could really give it a try, um, you know, get in there in, in the arena doing the work off the sidelines. And I have enjoyed it so much. Yes, there are those moments when you're vulnerable. Yes, there's those moments when others are critiquing you. But at the same time, it's the more you can collaborate with others and work as a team. I just find that really, really enjoyable. And, and so I haven't looked back. I, I enjoy the work right. of administration as, as dry as it may seem. It may not seem that way to you, Brian. I know you were a principal, but um, <laughs> maybe to others it seems a little bit like you're paper pushing and things. But it's not that at all. It's very rich in human connection. And um, so I... I see myself continuing uh, as a principal and administrator for many years to come. Absolutely. Did you hold any administrative positions prior to arriving at Bell Hill? I I did. I did. I I worked for uh, a number of years at a Waldorf school in Sonoma Valley, and my last couple of years there, I, I was given some administrative responsibilities which, again, which I, I really enjoyed and loved, and that was one of the reasons I decided to, um, to start my, working on my administrative credential. And once I had that, I did work for as an assistant principal in Katati, um, near Roner mm -hmm. Park in Sonoma County, um, at a K-8 school that, again, I really, really loved that work. Um, but you, you feel as an assistant principal, you're still really not able to work quite in the same way that you could if you were the principal. And I, I really wanted to take on that challenge. So, um, right. so right. I did. I stayed there for a year, and I, I learned a ton. A lot of my work was working with discipline um, of those mm -hmm. middle school students. But, again, I, it was a, a huge learning opportunity for me, and I really connected with those students and their families. Well, how and why did you end up in Nevada County then? Well, um, very serendipitously, I think, I, I, though I, I was enjoying my work as an assistant principal, I still I felt that longing really to be the principal of my own school, and I started looking, looking for positions, seeing what was out there, and um, my husband and I were familiar with Nevada County, of course, like many, I think <laughs> we'd come up to a number of music festivals, and uh, my husband had some family, uh, some friends here in the area, and so I, as I was looking for positions that were open, I saw that there was a principal job advertised at, um, here at Bell Hill. I knew nothing of the school, but I was fascinated to see that there was a dual immersion program here. And ever since those years, as I mentioned in Davis, as an intern during college, I had had in my mind uh, that I had this dream to, again, go back to the work of a dual immersion program. Uh, and, and to have that opportunity as a principal, I just couldn't pass it by. So I applied, um, and as you see, I, I was hired. So um, that, that's how all of that came about. All right. Well, it sounds like it was uh, kind of meant to be. So you're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Brian Buckley, and we're talking today with Heather Graham, principal of Bell Hill Academy and director of bilingual education in Grass Valley School District. So, Heather, tell us a bit about the program at Bell Hill. It's, it's unique in Nevada County, is it not? It, it absolutely is. Um, so just to give a little bit of context, to Bell Hill Academy is a global studies school. So we have two tracks from kindergarten through fourth grade. One track is taught in English with a focus on different parts of the world in every grade. 
And then the other track of classrooms from kindergarten through fourth is dual immersion. And we, we follow what's called a 90-10 model, um, which focuses primarily on Spanish instruction in the early years. Children learn to read and write and do math. All of that is taught primarily in Spanish. And we aim to have a mix of students who come from both English-speaking and Spanish-speaking homes. Ideally, a dual immersion program would have about 50-50 in each class, and we're getting closer to that a little bit each year. Um, Our program actually the dual immersion program goes all the way up to eighth grade. So when students leave Bell Hill after fourth grade, our program does continue all the way through Lyman Gilmore. And so fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, our very um, first class, our lead cohort of students who started here at Bell Hill nine years ago, they are now in eighth grade and will be graduating this year. So it's a very exciting year where we see the full trajectory of the program um, so it's, it's a great time to be talking about it. I'm, I'm very, very proud of that. Great. You, you mentioned the percentages. What are the relative percentages of native English speakers and native speakers of other languages, uh, obviously mostly Spanish, in, in the dual immersion program? Right. Well, again, our our aim is always uh, 50-50. So that is when we do our lottery for kindergarten um, every spring. So we've, we've just done it now. We do really try to get that mix of, of that balance, I should say, of home languages, and it, because that's what really creates um, the dual, right? In the in the dual immersion, is that you have mm-hmm. different cultures represented, both languages. So here at Bell Hill, though, we do have one one of our tracks is uh, English only. So our school as a whole is close to forty percent uh, Hispanic or Latino students, and about sixty percent white though the dual immersion classes would be have the higher percentage of, of the Hispanic students. I see, I see. And, you know, can you kind of give us a hint? You've already been doing this, but uh, just on a day-to-day basis, in what ways would a school day at Bell Hill differ from a school day at, at most other schools? Right. Well, we... First of all, I would just have to say that our school as a whole is an incredibly warm, welcoming, and safe space for students. So that's something that our entire staff works really hard to make sure that, that, that all of our students feel welcome and, and have that sense of belonging. And I think a number of schools in the area I do that as too. I don't, I don't mean to imply that they don't. But what is different then as students come in is that you hear Spanish spoken throughout the day. So even students who are in the English track, they're still hearing the teachers of the dual immersion classes. They hear them teaching. Um, often, we, you know, pre-pandemic, we did a lot of uh, mixing of students so that, that students, for example, in the first grade would have experiences with the dual immersion teacher and the, the English Global Studies teacher to really create that sense of community because the last thing we want is to, to have the sense that we've got two divided schools within Bell Hill Academy. We absolutely do everything we can to create that feeling of one school. However, half of our classes are taught for the majority of their day in Spanish. So as you travel classroom to classroom, you'll hear in one classroom, you'll hear students doing their morning calendar activities in English 
chanting the months, counting out the days of the, how many days of school we've had, and then you'll go to the classroom right next door to that, and all of that will be happening in Spanish without translation. So it's, it's something that, um, that's, that's that immersion piece, is that the, the, English, the Spanish is not translated for the English-speaking students, but it's taught in a very um, active, uh, enthusiastic way that our teachers, especially our, our younger grade teachers, are very enthusiastic. They're always acting things out, plenty of use of visuals, and just that implementation of their lessons through a routine, students know uh, what will be coming next, and, and they get very excited about things like matemáticas and, and all of that. So it, it's a wonderful, rich, enthusiastic um, setting for our students to be, to be learning in two languages. Right. You know, we're coming off an unprecedented year in education, and what are some of the challenges or obstacles that you've had, either uh, related to the pandemic or related to the unique, you know, school environment and school program that exists there at Bell Hill? And, you know, any anything that's been uh, surprising to you or might be surprising to listeners? Well, I... One of the biggest challenges has been to implement a dual immersion program through distance learning. That has absolutely been one of the biggest challenges for our program. Um, however, I, I have to say that I, I think that I, I'm so fortunate that the teachers at Bell Hill are extremely collaborative and, and really innovative, creative in how they've, cre they've developed their lessons and how they're delivering that content to students. So. So yes, that piece has been challenging because our program is, is truly designed for students to be here six hours a day and, and really hearing both languages with their teachers um, in a more consistent and for longer periods of time. So, so that has been one of the challenges. Um, however, we have had students back in smaller cohorts since November, and of course now we have students back in full cohorts here at school, so we've, we've noticed and seen the changes, the very positive changes as students are starting to come back in person that, um, that they, they really are still achieving um, at high levels in both languages, so that's been very exciting to see. I think some of the challenges and obstacles that maybe members of the public who aren't involved in education might not be aware of is just related to the pandemic is, is just the tremendous amount of record-keeping and the, the, just the close watch that we have to have, we have to know the reason every single student, if they're out, if they're absent, we have to know why, we have to follow up, if they're having any kind of COVID-related symptoms. There's a tremendous amount of tracking of that and tracking of, of COVID tests and how many days has the student been out, communicating that to teachers. So I, I really have to hand it specifically to our site secretary here. She's been amazing because it, it's a tremendous amount of work on top of the work that she's already had to do, just, just her regular mm -hmm. job. Um, so it, it, it's all of that. And then letting parents know that if their child has the sniffles, well, that will mean 10 days out or they need to go get a COVID test or a note from the doctor. So it's much more involved. You can't just call in and say, oh, you know, my, my child's right. got a tummy ache. Well, that's a COVID symptom potentially. So right. there's a whole, 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 you know, a protocol that we need to follow. And it's, it's not just, you know, those of us in schools, we're not just making it up. We're following 
um, the state and county guidelines. So, um, so that that's that's taken its toll, I would say. Uh, Brian and Heather, above and beyond what we yeah. normal do. Uh, yeah. Excuse me, it's Keith in the studio. I have a question. Uh, someone called in. Uh, Billy said, uh, "Isn't it more important for youngsters at a young age to learn English? And by going through a dual immersion program like that, doesn't that leave them at a deficit in language later on in uh, as as their teenagers and later on in life?" Well, that's a that's a great question, and and I think that that's that's absolutely um, a, a thought that's out there. This isn't the first time I've ever been asked that question. Um, however, I can point to years and years and years, decades of research on dual immersion programs that actually indicate that if a child stays in a dual immersion program for a period of, well, for example, our program, our program goes from kindergarten through eighth grade that um, group after group after group of students we've seen that whether or not a child comes from a native English speaking home or a native Spanish speaking home their academic outcomes by eighth grade are higher in both languages and most significantly in math it, to me that that's one of those those results of the research that the, the one of the findings of the research that really uh, is fascinating to me because how is it that by by, by teaching children in two languages and, and you know, and it, it, because we're changing their brains by, by teaching them in two languages, um, allowing them to be these bilingual scholars. So not only do they have higher outcomes in both English and Spanish than peers who've not been in bilingual programs, but their math scores are significantly higher. So, uh, so I, I'd be happy to, to point anyone to that research if you're interested in it, but it's very well documented um, that actually learning bilingually helps the brain. It helps uh, everyone, whether they're English or Spanish or, or whatever their home language is. So, so great question. All right, yeah, good question, good answer. Um, you know, just uh, we don't have a lot of time left, but uh, a couple things I, I'd, I'd like to ask you. You said you had a passion for family engagement, and told us a little bit about that in your in your past with your with your coffee maker, um, <laughs> as well as advocating for English language learners. You know, can you tell us a little bit more about that and maybe how that might manifest at uh, at Bell Hill? Certainly, I I think that. The, my realization of how important family engagement is in the education of students really hit me when I became a parent myself. Um, my daughter's now 20, so it's been, it's been many, many years for me to, to, to think this through and see all the different permutations of ways that, that parents can be engaged in their, their children's education. But when, you, when you're working with the whole child, right, and, that, and that's been a real buzzword in recent years, is that, oh, well, we work and we support the whole child, right, emotionally, mm -hmm. social, emotionally, behaviorally, um, academically, all these different ways. Well, another key part of that is also working with the family because you see children come to school, and they're not just empty vessels when they walk through the school gates. They, they are coming from the context of their loving family who hold hopes and dreams and have great aspirations for their children. So it's so important for us to remember that, you know, yes, we, we may see that student walking through the gates of the school and, and maybe he's a little fidgety. Maybe it looks like he's not paying attention or, you know, maybe, maybe the teacher has to, you know, uh, get his attention from time to time. However, the thing to remember is that that child, just like every single child walking through our school, is coming from a family who wants the very best for their child. 
without exception. Right. And so that's one of those things for me that I try to bring to my day-to-day -day work. I try to make sure that as a staff that we're all keeping that in mind because sometimes it's easy, easy to get a little bit sidetracked, but when we place that child in their family context, I feel like that makes a huge difference in how we educate them. Great. You know, there we could go on and on, Heather. Uh, I have a lot more questions for you, but we don't have time to get to them all. And uh, I just want to thank you for taking time from your very busy schedule at this time of the year to be with us and tell us a little bit about your, your life and, uh, and the work that goes on in education. Absolutely, Brian. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.